This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 135 is Kaylee Goldsworthy. She's a brilliant musician who recently released a record last year on producer Will Yip's label Memory Music. It's called Learning to Be Happy. She's also played in Frank Iero and the Future Violence. Uh, we talk about that and how it was recording a record with Steve Albini. Lots of awesome stuff. Kaylee has some shows coming up with Laura Jane Grace, Frank Turner, and she'll be opening the first four nights of a tour with Laura Stevenson that kicks off April 7th in Massachusetts. And what's awesome is that uh, she's also playing in Laura's band on the whole tour. I want to let you know if you're new here, there is a bonus episode available right now where Kaylee answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that over at patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month, get access to all of the bonus episodes available on the show. Plus you get bonus radio hours, uh, access to a discord channel, all sorts of stuff hit it up. That is patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And if you enjoy it and this uh, show that is, and you uh, haven't subscribed to it on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this, please do so. It helps support the show. Leaving a positive rating and review also helps. All right. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Kaylee Goldsworthy. All right. What's up, Kaylee? It's nice to see you. How are you? Hi, it's nice to see you too. How's it going? Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, yeah, I, it's, you know, we met, um, I think it was the first time we officially met was at Dan Ozzy's thing. Uh, yes. like book that was the first time we met, right? Yeah. I was just trying to think if like, cause you've been around for so long that I was like, I, I feel like you're just like, you're such a familiar person to me. I think because of all of our mutual friends that I was like, I'm pretty positive. This is the first time we're We've definitely like shared a room together many times, right. but like the first time that we've actually like intentionally introduced each other, introduced <laughs> right. ourselves to each other. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you have uh, just about the cutest dog in the entire world that was strapped to your back as a backpack. Yes. Um, Yes. And the worst part is, is that she has so much anxiety. Like she's on human grade Prozac. She's the full truly like stress ball package and uh her traveling in a backpack is great but also like just truly lends itself to to people coming up and uh and wanting to be around her which i don't i don't blame people for it's uh, sure like i'm not a real i'm i can kind of be a little a little bougie from time to time but never have i spent more money on a backpack than a backpack that could transport my dog <laughs> my 30 pound pit bull so that her yeah. arms are draped over my shoulders. Like I, it's... I spent an absurd amount of money on this backpack. <laughs> I mean, it's incredibly cute. Like it's, it's uh, my I mean, first it's... luxury bag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. So you're from Syracuse originally. I am. 
Wow. Okay. When did you end up moving away from there? Because I saw, also saw you, you know, you spent time in like Nashville and now you're in Philly, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in California before Nashville. I did. I made the rounds. I made Truly. the rounds. Um, but yeah, I'm from Syracuse. I stayed there until I went to college at Fredonia State uh, out in Western New York. And then after that, I came home to tour for a little while and then I moved to New York. So in and out Got it. of Syracuse since high school. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah. It's like when I think about Syracuse, it's hard not to, I think just from the world we come from, like think of just like the, the earth crises and yes. like bands like that. So I was curious, like, um, was there a scene that you were, or was there like a group like, were there bands from that era area that were like more in line with the music you make that like maybe people aren't aware of, or was it pretty strictly uh... like that world of hardcore stuff? <laughs> It was basically it, the the weird thing. I love the Syracuse music scene and I love hardcore and I loved going to hardcore shows growing up. And um, the funny thing I think about me as a musician was that I always like I came up in the punk scene, but like I was I've never not been writing pop songs. <laughs> and so um, my twin sister and I were in a band for a very long time called The Scarlet Ending, and that was like our mark on the Syracuse music scene. And for a really long time, it was really fucking hard because we didn't fit in with anyone like we, you know, especially in the realm of like local bands, um, there weren't a lot of female fronted like pop rock bands that that wouldn't be directly be like, oh, so you sound like Evanescence. And you're like, no. <laughs> No, right. uh, we don't. Yeah. So we kind of like had, we kind of had to like shape shift and just kind of like play shows where we were really well received in some instances and then just like really not in others. <laughs> right. No, I, I can totally imagine. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's get ourselves there. So when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house, but something that you found that kind of gave you a sense of identity. Yeah. Uh, both of my parents were musicians growing up. And so I grew up with a lot of music in the house, but the first time I kind of discovered it on my own was actually at the public library. And I would go to the library after school and I would, you know, instead of like doing homework, I would thumb through all the CDs that they had. And I remember seeing Alkaline Trio's first record and being like, what is this? I need wow. to take this home with me. And then I also found um, uh, Veruca Salt's Eight Arms to Hold You. And I was like, again. Yeah. I, I, and I, I definitely kind of like judged a book by its cover, but also like was just trying to to learn about music that visually also kind of like spoke to me like, OK, if this is what this artist is going for, like I got to listen to that. And that's that was my introduction to Alkaline Trio. That was my introduction to Veruca Salt, Liz Fair. Like my parents definitely had some influence because they were like members of the what the RCA like CD of the month club or whatever. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. So we had like cool music coming into our house, but that was the first music that I think I kind of like discovered on my own was actually through, through uh, stealing it from the public library. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm so fascinated. Like, I, I guess I've never really thought about how the public library decides on what they bring. Right. In. Somebody there like knew what was up in in yeah. like cool 90s and can i be a nerd and just yeah. ask is it, when you say the alkaline trio record was it like the self-titled one that because I, I guess a part of me was like would they have the record god damn it like i think they had god damn it they definitely wow. had and then at some point it was the same thing with from here to infirmary which i think was like the first time i saw their faces and i was like oh, oh yeah fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes um, that's awesome that also just the veruca salt thing because that was the that was their second record. So that was the one that had like Volcano Girls yeah. on it. Yeah. And like yeah. Jawbreaker was my favorite movie. And I was just like, oh, yes, man. absolutely. Time and place. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So what, uh, so, you know, you find that and you get into it. Did, um, did, how like soon after did you get interested in wanting to play an instrument? I think probably by that point I already was. Okay. 
Um, so sure. then it was just more so finding people in my school that were wearing Alkaline Trio t-shirts and like Hot Water Music t-shirts and just yeah. being like, oh, these are my people. Okay, cool. Right, right. Okay. So before we get into like first instrument stuff then, so what, so once you got into those two bands, was it like in the era of um, like downloading and stuff like that, where you're trying to find like, 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 or like record label stuff, like yeah, connecting the dots? All, all of the comps, every single compilation disc I could get my hands on. I was also a member of the No Doubt Street Team. Hell so yeah. I would get like the, uh, like the merch, like send away for merch brochures and stuff like that. And so I was like very aware of just kind of like, that scene of music and and yes warp tour every year just trying to see everybody i possibly could and learning what bands to to like listen to based on on that sure yeah wow so that yeah i mean like that's such a a time for uh discovery with all of those different things i mean the 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 era of the compilation i feel like is sadly lost to time for the most part but i kind of feel like it might come back just because we're in a singles realm once again yeah that may be maybe i don't know true i think spotify thinks it's probably like god's compilation but i don't know yeah that should be their new tagline just (laughs) god's compilation um yeah, I mean, just a real quick, just because I could talk about Alkaline Trio forever. Uh, what about the fact that they specifically put their best songs on compilations? I know. Isn't that the craziest thing? I know. Like, but but also, like, I love that band so deeply that, like, every time they put something else out, I'm like, yep, it's another solid Alkaline Trio record. Because it's just like they nail their own sound and there's no one that sounds yeah. like them. So it's also like, if you like the banger you will like the rest of the record it's a good call i mean it's a it's a good call i remember one time seeing matt skiba live like you know a solo thing and and he was quite intoxicated uh not surprising and he at one point kept messing up the song and he just kind of stopped in the middle of it and was like i'm sorry i can't remember this but you guys realize i've been writing the same song same song for like 25 years so they all kind of blend together at this point love it chef's kiss yes it's kind of like how i view weezer as well except i wish that they just stopped putting two records out a year and just put like oh my God. one every three that had all the good songs absolutely yeah uh it's same with i mean to a more extreme extent i don't know if you ever got into guided by voices but yeah. i just realized that they have they've put out i think already two or three albums out last year and i think have already done i have two coming out this year it's just like also as a musician i don't know if you are the same way i am but like there are stretches like uncomfortably long stretches of time where i do not seek out and i do not listen to music sure yeah and so when you said that i was like oh yeah i didn't know about those (laughs) yeah well i mean no idea you, I think that there's certain bands like there, I think a prime example where it's like, I doubt that there's like an album rollout for guided by voice. Like their sure. fans are just like, Oh, there's another. Okay, cool. Sure. There it is. It's just on, it's just on the internet now. So now I'll listen to it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, probably true. Yeah. You're not trying to like garner a new fan base when you're on your album. Like, I think it's like literally number 42 for them. I was going to say at that point, I'm sure they've lost count. Yes. And also, like, each record has, like, 20 songs. I'm like, when they're making set lists, what do you do? It's just, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty fascinating. Anyway, uh, what was the first concert you went to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw Hanson at the Pepsi Arena in Albany, New York in, Amazing. I believe, 1997. Amazing. That was my first proper concert, arena yeah. concert. I saw Hanson. What a time and place, you know? Uh, like, yeah, I I remember my parents would not let me go see No Doubt at the time. That was like you know, Tragic Kingdom had just come out, but those shows were a little like too much. My parents were like, not yet, but like Hanson, at least they play their own instruments. I think was like kind of there because I think it broke them maybe just a little bit that that was like they they raised us with David Bowie and a whole lot of prog rock. Uh, that's how I got my name is from this 1985 Marillion song called Kaylee. Oh and it is the music video is so dramatic. And the song <laughs> is so dramatic. Um, wow. So I think that they were probably a little like, wow, I can't believe that like 
my daughters are just like sobbing to this boy band in the in in the 90s when there's so much better music but i do remember i do remember that um i was at i remember i was at the carousel mall which is the mall in syracuse the big mall and i was with my dad and there were a whole bunch of punks and they had like huge mohawks and i just was like so in awe of like how cool they looked and my dad looked at me and he goes you know why all the punks are here right and i was like why and he was like smashing pumpkins and marilyn manson are playing the lost horizon tonight and i was like can we go and he was like no but soon you will and i was like yes and i was just like so sick i want to go to the lost horizon and see smashing pumpkins play. which by the way i feel like that had to have been like so fucking cool to see that yeah. bill at that venue. Um, oh my God. Yeah. What year I, would that have been? Like with like 96, 97? Had to have been, if not a little yeah. earlier. Cause I remember I was like, I remember vividly seeing like, right. I, I was too young to like, it's not like I would gone to school with kids who were expressing themselves that way yet. So I was like in awe of, of them. And that would have been, yeah. I mean, that bill makes sense. Cause that year that would have been when, uh, when pumpkins went full goth, yeah. So yeah, like a door era. Oh. Wow. Yeah. What a what a time. Yeah. Um and also, you know, it's funny, I never really thought about Hansen as like this sort of gateway thing for young kids to go see at that age where it's like I can understand like a parent might think, oh, the no doubt show, you know, there might be a lot of pot smoking going on. There might be a lot of older kids doing this and doing that. But like Hanson, it's like it's still music being made by actual musicians. At least and it was a full band. Yeah. And, a it's situation. Like and it's like a family friendly, friendly sort of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Even though it was also just like mob mentality. <laughs> oh, like Beatles esque. No yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I'm glad to see that they're like still doing making stuff making yeah. music being business people yeah it's pretty i i saw them play like a south by southwest probably like at this point i don't think the last time i was there was like 10 years ago but like sure. around 10 years ago and being like still rips man you got yeah. it that's pretty sick uh did you do the south by southwest run a couple times or just once um so oddly enough i used to go my family would go as like a a little trip every year um, what a cool family in the early 2000s and my dad owned a recording studio and a record label in Syracuse um, and so he was just like helping small local bands in Syracuse that couldn't afford to put records out he would just be that that source um, which was super super cool and also when I went to college I studied music business so I, when I went to college they'd like give us a little stipend so we could all go um, yeah. And do that. So I did. I finally I only played it one year um, and it was with my first hired gun job that I had this group called Young and Sick. And it was like something stupid, like 12 shows in three days. And I was just like, well, you lived it. That's the definitely that's, lived it. Um, yeah. And, and went enough times before it got to like. Dick what measury. it is now yeah <laughs> yeah corporate corporate yeah. sponsored yeah. yeah when it's when it was like you could still find cool people that were undiscovered before it became a festival for people to be like look who we discovered and they're right, already totally. on the radio you know yeah um i like i you know i'm happy enough that it exists but i swear every year when people start posting that they're going or the shows or the set times and stuff like it's just like i'm just triggered i don't <laughs> like, yeah i mean how many times have you done it um i want to say we probably did it three or four times but like and every single one of those ones was like some sort of inner competition for no reason in us where we're like should we play like four shows today and you're just like why are we doing this you're just yeah it's so stressful parking unloading all of that stuff is just nightmare material. and the worst part about this festival like I'm, I'm really glad that there's starting to become some transparency with how difficult it is like i don't know how the the collective we as musicians allowed ourselves to get so fucked in so many different directions like that that what we do is like the main pillar of an entire industry yet we have allowed ourselves to like not get paid enough have zero help getting our gear into the venues no one is accounting for our transportation or our expenses um and then we get paid the least out of everybody at the end of the day it, it like to me it's just like how have we yeah when you play south by you're like all right let's do four shows and then you're like yeah. 
all the streets are closed. How are you supposed yeah. to drive two miles to get to the show down down the road? You're like, you can't. It's going to take you two hours. Yeah, you're basically just getting yelled at by cops. And and yes, and then yelled at by the venue staff because you were fucking late because... Uh-huh. <laughs> yep, and you're... Yeah, and... Oh, my God. Mm. Yeah, so many, so many stressed out stories. And you're totally right, too, where it's like, you know, it's probably a larger conversation, but it's not any different than, you know, like, I'm just going to make up a... I'm, I'm just going to make this up, but I'm sure they've done it at some point. Uh, you get added to a Domino's pizza showcase, right? <laughs> so, like, so, so I'm making this all up for, for people listening to enjoy this. So, uh, you're added could to be the real, do- could be could real. Could be real. Oh, at this point, I mean, I remember for sure there was like the Doritos. I played Doritos. the Taco Bell once. It was there pretty. There you go. There you go. Okay. So, um, you know, it's like you get added to this thing, which I'm sure you're not getting paid to do. Or if you are getting paid, it's a very small amount of money. It's like, how is that any different than like publicists, you know, working super hard to be, you know, have a song debuted on like Forbes.com where you're like, people who are reading Forbes are not going to go listen to like this hardcore band's song. The hardcore band is driving traffic to Forbes.com. So like they're getting more out of it than we are. Right. So it's just like, it's just one of those things that I think in the long run, you're absolutely right. It's like, we just continue to be. I think somewhere along the lines, we're just, we were just so stoked to be there that we were like, yeah, take it, whatever you want. You mean I get to just play my music here? Cool. Uh Thanks. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And the amount of like times I'd walk into a room, just like maybe a friend was playing or something like that. And I'd be excited to see them. And then, you know, you see them playing to people in suits who are just like red face, drunk, turned sideways, having loud conversations over taking up all of the space on the guest list so that you can't get your friends who like, you know, maybe can't afford to go to the show every night. Uh huh. Yep. It's a blessing and a curse because like randomly you'll like get to catch a cool show or you'll, you'll get to see all your friends or, you know, all those sorts of things happen. But it's like at what cost? Sometimes, yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, that's real. I mean, I'm fascinated by how cool your family is that like all of those things were, <laughs> yeah. were happening. So what were so, you know, I ask what what was being played, at, you know, or like what things you discovered on your own. But you mentioned a lot of music being played in the house and prog music and stuff like, yeah, uh, I am actually curious. though, like what crossover stuff did connect with you and maybe your sister with what was being played in the house? Like there's uh, a lot of singer songwriter stuff. No, not really. Well, kind of. Yeah, I guess kind of. So we uh, we my dad worked construction and he brought home an upright grand piano that came from a job site. And I mean, it was like half the keys were missing. It was out of tune. But like we uh, we listened to Ben Folds Fives, Whatever and Ever Amen and Tori Amos's Little Earthquakes like until the CDs stopped working. And like that is how my sister and I learned to play piano. Wow. Like just listening to those records. And those records are not entirely age appropriate and also not like you know, basic piano by any means, but that's kind of like how we learned how to like hear and play music by ear. Wow. That's fast. So was piano your first instrument? No, violin was. Okay. Yeah. When and did I, you start that? Uh, I started that when I was seven and I Jeez. still, and I still play. Yeah. And you stuck with it. I stuck yeah. with it. I actually studied it in college. So I like went through, through graduating with yeah, violin. Cause- I looked at, you know, like uh, when researching and stuff like I, you know, I saw that you have violin and piano and all of this and like on a lot of credits on on albums that you played on and, and everything like that. So that's wow. That's uh, I'm impressed that you s- stuck with it because it, it, it feels like one of those instruments that gets pushed on a kid and then they're like, you know, I don't really want to do this after 100%. school. Yeah. And, it, and, and the worst part is, and I explained this because at one point I was teaching lessons to kids when I lived in California and I was explaining to the parents, I was like, your kid is going to suck until one day they don't. And then it's going to be awesome. But like even talking to teenage kids, I'll be like, yo, yeah, it sucks right now, but soon it won't. And then it's going to be right. really cool once it stops sucking. <laughs> Do you remember the moment for you when it did stop sucking? Like, was there a song that you learned how to play where it just like sounded right? I just remember like because very early on, I was just kind of like we we had so many instruments in our house growing up that this one was just mine. And I remember that the following year, my sister, because at third grade, you could play stringed instruments. But then at fourth grade, if you wanted to, you could switch to like woodwinds and brass. And I don't know why children under fourth grade were not able to do this. Like, I don't know what they thought, whatever. 
uh, putting stuff in your mouth at third grade, I guess. Not a, I don't know, whatever. Sure. Uh, my sister switched and stopped playing the violin and moved to the flute. So I think probably around that time was then was like the first time I ever had something that was truly just mine. Um, and so that's kind of when I think I started really getting into it. And that makes sense from, you know, not to be armchair psychologist or whatever, but I imagine as having a twin sister, having a thing that is specifically yours is very important. Have, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we were, we're very much identical in every, every way. So our interests very much aligned. Um, but playing the violin too, like kind of came with its own like nerdy counterpart where I had to seek out instances and ways where I could still incorporate it into the music that I was playing. Um, and so the Scarlet Ending, like, I'm, I guess kind of growing up, I was listening to to like anything that had that. So obviously like Yellow Card was on my radar because they were big, popular and had a violinist. Totally. And I mean, I could play the songs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but then it, then it was like, flogging molly okay cool uh they got a violinist too okay i can pay attention to them uh murder by death rah rah riot um the cores like i went nickel creek any every kind of music country bluegrass irish i was like give me this i need to like i want to learn it i want to figure out how they're doing it and then um when kalina and i started the scarlet ending we were like okay well it's got to have violin kalina played piano and then we also got a cello player and we were like a six piece band and we were like, let's fucking go. And then we toured a lot, but mostly we did USO tours, which was very strange. We like had pub deals in the States, but we never toured in the States and we just did USO tours. <laughs> wow. That is truly fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what kind of music was it leaning into? Was it like sort of like the murder by deathy sort of? Yeah. I mean, thing? we thought we were so cool we thought we were like the white stripes meets alkaline trio so we could only dress in like black white and red we had this like carnival-esque theme and we like played into this hard from like high school on like our merch table was a circus tent we had like props we did the thing and we were like you know three-part harmony string sectioned weird poppy rocky just kind of all over the place. And I still listen to like our most recent record and I'm like, it's pretty fucking cool. Um, I don't think we knew where we were supposed to live and I don't think anybody really knew where we were supposed to live. We would just get put on cool shows um, yeah. in Syracuse uh, where eventually by that point, like once we had been touring and putting records out, we were getting like, we would end up on tours with Frank Turner or Dillinger Escape Plan. Like it didn't matter. We We opened for both. And that it was just really yeah. happened. Wow. Yes. Yeah. 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 We were like the clutch, like local opener if there was a cool show coming to town. Um, so it was cool because we just kind of like drifted in between. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's just because we also had made ourselves kind of like this staple for for people who like listening to hardcore because we'd been around and opening hardcore shows for so long that like maybe just that like, I don't know, emotional female vocalist enjoying group of people that that Venn diagram was like, oh, okay, cool. Totally. Yeah. And also, if, you know, it sounds like you're uh, involved in the scene enough too, to where it was like, people just would want to support you regardless of I anything. I think once they realized we weren't going anywhere, then they were like, okay, <laughs> you can stay. Wow. God. <laughs> yeah. I was just, uh, so if I, if I'm seeing this correctly, uh, the band did, was it like two LPs and two EPs? That Is sounds that right? about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and were these records recorded by your pops? Yeah, a bunch of them were. And then we did the last EP we did out on Long Island at, uh, Voodoo. Okay. Um, I'm not familiar. What's, what's, is that a, is that one of the more known studios it, out there? I know that I actually know that Kevin Devine re recorded oh. his most recent record out there. Oh, awesome. Um, and we were pumped at the, we were super, super pumped at the time to like, you know, not that recording with my dad was anything other than extraordinary but like it was cool to like be able to be like okay we're gonna go somewhere else and record a record yeah and also have like an outside perspective as yeah, opposed to like yeah the, the dad cheering you on was your dad Absolutely. was was your dad uh pretty involved in like the song structures and things like that no he was actually really hands-off in that regard and I, I remember like 
you know, because my parents were in a band up until I was in high school, um, I was super nervous to like share the fact that I was writing oh, music. And so yeah. I remember like the first time I was like, hey, dad, I wrote a song. And he's like, oh, can I hear it? And I was like, turn around. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm singing about feelings. I can't I can't look at you. <laughs> yeah. But How we were that? young. You... Yeah. And, and, and I think after that, he, he stopped primarily prioritizing I think being in a band as much as he was like okay let's record your songs so we had like a Tascam like cassette recorder and then we started there and then my dad started like recording more and more people we recorded our first record um gosh I was ooh, I think in like the year 2000 oh wow yeah um and then after that he was like I want to I want to own a studio like this is cool I want to this is what I want to do so that motivated him uh, I think maybe a little bit of both. Like, I think he was like finding a, a, a cool purpose in the Syracuse music scene too, hmm. where, where like a whole bunch of bands would come through and record and, and he was a uh, big integral part in putting out a lot of cool music. Did he record any like punk hardcore stuff at all? Or was it usually uh, <laughs> more indie singer songwritery sort? Um, that it was kind of all over the place. It was kind of like whatever, whatever, band was just like doing stuff and like wanting to tour and like wanting to go somewhere like he was just super cool he did a lot of singer songwriting stuff I think that's kind of where it, it geared towards but then there was like a band called Spuria that was like kind of mathy rock and then I don't know that he did too much hardcore um I was gonna say I just I would more, imagine yeah it was more as, like on the rock spectrum okay I was gonna say I, I just imagine for you like being that being a kind of funny jarring experience that like, would have been whoa. yeah that would have been pretty pretty fun um uh, so i'm assuming that was your first band though right yeah other than just like a couple of projects that my sister and i like our first actual first band i think we called ourselves like crazy jane for like two shows and we we were basically a ramones cover band oh that's cool yeah it was just me and my sister and it was metal night at the knights of columbus and we just played Ramon songs and like probably a couple MXPX songs. So what did you play at that show? A electric guitar. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. when did you when did you start playing guitar? Uh shortly after the violin. Like I think okay. it all kind of snowballed once I started like actively seeking out music to play along with. Then the guitar came in, then the piano came in. Okay. Do you remember the do you remember the first song that you remember how to play? You're gonna you, like, make me to tell you that it's Mbop. You're gonna make me tell you that it's Mbop. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Were you able to sing to it too? Yeah. It was a very proud moment. Oh, uh, that's and awesome. then I think our first talent show that we ever did, which might have actually been our first proper show. Right. Yeah, was please. uh we played Garbage, I'm only happy when it rains. That's yeah. cool. And that was and Cheryl Crow's favorite mistake, which to this day, beautiful song. song. Yeah. yeah. And such a cool guitar part to like feel like I was riffing in, in like the sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. So wait, was your so was your sister playing drums or something? She was playing bass. Okay. And I also remember like she slammed her finger in the locker. And like so she had like her middle finger in like a sling. And so the whole time she was playing, I was like, You look so cool. You're just like flipping everybody off. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> hey there. Do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we kind of knocked through like a lot of the, the first releases and things like that. I noticed that uh, your first solo record, um, the Burrower record, uh, your dad also worked on that. Yeah. And was that recorded in Syracuse? That was half recorded in Syracuse and half recorded out on Long Island. Um, I had moved to New York City and honestly, like I had a pub deal after the Scarlet ending had 
kind of disbanded. And so I was continuously trying to figure out if I wanted to move more into just songwriting and just top line running. And so I just kept writing songs for my pub deal. And then it wasn't until um, I got a Facebook message from Chuck Reagan asking if I wanted to play the revival tour. And it wasn't like until that happened that I was like, oh, maybe I should put these songs out like as my own instead of just kind of like hoarding them and just trying to see if there was any interest anywhere. Interesting. How did that connection happen? So the Scarlet Ending actually opened for Chuck uh, when he played a solo show at a vegan cafe in Syracuse called Strong Hearts. And we just kind of like stayed friends. And same thing with Frank Turner. Like I, I stayed good friends with Frank I mean, I still am good friends with Frank, but like it all started from that first show. I think there's something kind of cool and unique about kind of feeling like you you have self-confidence in yourself as a musician, even when you know that you are like a rookie, but then to be like, oh, these people that I respect also kind of respect what I just did. That's pretty cool. <laughs> 1000%. Um, man, that's, that's, uh, that had to have been a really nice Facebook message to uh, to get. To be oh, it was so yeah. fucking weird. I I had just moved to New York and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like I was working a super shitty customer service job that just like crushed my soul. And then every night I was just going out to shows to try to meet people to figure out where where to go, where to play shows. And then to have Chuck just be like, hey, what are you doing on Thursday night? You want to be the special guest at the Bowery Ballroom show? And I was like, what? So you know, then it's so I, funny is i've had uh i had dave haas on here who yeah. i know you've worked i've uh, i know you've worked with before um and i think that the title of his episode was like something along the lines of when chuck reagan asks asks you to do something you do it <laughs> i lost he he made me yeah. uh lose my job because of it too i uh we pl i played the f first show it was the eight o'clock show and then he was like you want to stick around for the late show and i was like Okay, yeah. And so uh played the late show that started at midnight, I think. And then uh he was like, What are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, I'm working. Like I was a at that part point I was I think I was working at a bar and he was like, Wanna go to Pittsburgh? And I was like, Yeah. And he was like, There's a spot on the bus. Come on. And I was like, I just showed up here to play a show. I'm not ready to yeah. go to fucking Pittsburgh in the in the bus and like where am I where Am I just going to stay in Pittsburgh? Am I going to just keep on keeping on with you? Like, I don't know how this is going to work out. So I yeah. went home. I lived on Long Island and then I packed up my PT cruiser and drove to Pittsburgh, made it in time to get fired from my job because no one would come and pick me, pick up my shift. And oh, then no. I just like was like weeping when openly when I got there. And I remember Dave was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I lost my job. And he was like, punk rock and then walked away. And I was like, I guess. <laughs> I guess is the perfect response to that. Sure. That's, that's You're like, like, yeah, it's cool in this exact moment, yeah. but in like a week when I have to go home and figure this out, I'm going to be stressed out. I'm going to be not so pleased. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, Just before, just so I, you know, we don't skip over it. I want to make sure we get to it. Uh, or I ask you, because um, you mentioned you toured with, uh, with the Scarlet Band. So like, what was the first tour? Um, We, the first... We did three huge USO tours. One was in Greenland above the Arctic Circle. One was in Germany. Um, and then the other was the Middle East and Africa. Talk to, well, okay. Talk to me about <laughs> touring in Greenland. Touring in Greenland was really wild because it is the base where I guess it was built during the Cold War because from a latitude, longitude perspective, it was like the closest place they could look up into the atmosphere to see anything that was approaching the United States. So there's still like base that's covered in a glacier. Like it's, there's so much cool stuff in that part of the world. And uh, the tour was 10 days long because a plane flies in every 10 days. <laughs> so oh. we were there for 10 days. It was, we were there to play their 4th of July barbecue. We played outside. It was 30 degrees on the 4th of July. And we were like, yo, we can only play like at that time. I think we were slept like every night we were playing like two or three hours. Oh my God. Um, and so we learned pretty quickly during that tour that like at first we were like, we're going to do artsy covers like Regina Spector and cursive and all this stuff. And then we realized like, 
we're playing for deployed troops. They want to hear the most American classics in the world. So we would start our show with like one hour of our songs. And then the second hour, we were like Journey, Queen, like Heart, every every song that you would like just be thrilled at that would come out on karaoke. Like that's that was our set list. That's what we learned. Wow. So, I mean... Not not that I didn't think so, but that really does prove that you're all extremely competent musicians at that point. If <laughs> we were, all yeah, able yeah, to yeah, just, yeah, like, definitely. All do that. Yeah, wow. it, we we worked really hard to figure that out, and then we just had a great time. Like we would get in so much trouble <laughs> on these tours because, like, we would talk everybody into doing some crazy shit. We uh, we did a polar bear swim. Um, we ended up like and needing the fire department and like the entire medical staff to oversee because we ended up getting like a hundred people to want to do a polar bear swim with us. Oh my <laughs> god! Because we were the only visitors for ten days. Yeah, everybody um, wants to hang out. Yeah, and so we'd hike when we went to Africa. We like did a huge tour of like the facilities, and everyone is so gracious and so wonderful. Um, and you also learn an awful lot about like, you know, obviously I can't. I don't know anything about what it's like being in the armed forces and being deployed for a long period of time, but you gain a lot of different perspectives and a lot of great respect for the people doing what they're doing over there. Um, and so we were getting tours and like, we went into like this chamber full of guns and they were like, do you have any questions? And our bass player was like, yeah, like when do we get to shoot? And they were like, how early do you want to get up? And we were like, what? <laughs> so then one day we just went out in the middle of the desert and shot guns for a little while. Like, and and then I like, you know, they were like showing us how to do all it's the experiences were unlike anything I've ever experienced in my entire life. And so yeah. kind of like having these weird experiences and having like, you know, we had our like little uh what do you call them? The things that like when you shoot the targets, the target things. So we could <laughs> that's what it's called. That's what a it's target, called. a target sure. thing. Um or like getting to see camels and going to like a safari rescue like all of these like you know just crazy shit. crazy situation. and we also yeah. flew onto the nimitz which was like a ship in the middle of the indian ocean we had to like catch a wire on a cargo plane like and then get launched into outer space to leave because like we flew onto an a ship Actual, yeah yeah so so just because i don't think i i i don't think i know how did this opportunity oh. come your way like how, like what, ready what? Re are yeah. you ready for this full circle moment yeah south by southwest really really and it's not because we played it's because it was like one of the first times i went and we had gone like to the panels and they had like a demo listening panel and like we just brought one of our records and then we got approached afterwards because it got wow. picked yeah crazy man what so what years was this Oh gosh, it had to be like 2007, 2008. And I mean at that point you're probably uh, thought of what touring is is probably so different than what most people t think touring is, right? I mean it was weird. It we yeah. also flew commercial with all of our gear including a PA and speakers because we were oh flying God. we when we were in the Middle East we couldn't be caravaned by military because we were on ghost bases. Mm. So like we were traveling to places that like we couldn't fly into. So we sure. flew commercial everywhere and then would get picked up. Um, but then like, you know, we ended up on like a, a tour bus that had s just a fuck ton of seven dust records, like <laughs> in the bay still. And we were like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like they were the last band to use the bus. Uh, uh, that and makes, so, yeah, that, that like a lot of, of really a lot of really weird experiences so yeah no but like my touring experience was so vastly different from what it is now yeah, yeah. and also just like very strange in a very weird like a, a very different way okay so now you know you put out burrower and you're you got like the the chuck reagan you know approval and your friend you know you're friends with uh with like frank and dave and all these people so at that point, is that when you start to become sort of like this hired gun pretty because because there's obviously yeah. a big gap, a big gap between uh, that record and then your newest record. So like yeah. in between there, tell me what, what what's your life like? 
Um, so I was living in New York when I put that record out. And then almost immediately after I put the record out, I got approached by a music director to join a band called Young and Sick. And they were signed to a major label. And their first show was Coachella. And so I was like, all right, cool, let's go. Like, I've never played this genre of music before. I am interested in kind of like bouncing around and seeing whatever they need. Um, they needed like a good backup vocalist that could kind of do some keyboard stuff and some synth stuff and then some like violin. And I was like, yeah, I'm there. Let's do it. Um, so I toured with them for like a full album cycle. And uh, it was a really interesting experience to be a part of a band that had like that kind of backing and that kind of momentum behind it mm -hmm. um and then after the uh the record cycle ended i had moved to california in between um and uh after that album cycle ended i i realized that uh i can't live in orange county <laughs> is that where you i was gonna ask i was where living you in costa mesa yeah wow. uh and and like going back and forth to rehearsals in los angeles were just not really doing it for me um yeah and uh, my partner at the time was like pretty stoked on staying in Orange County. And so when that kind of ended, yeah. uh, I relocated to Nashville. Um, okay. And uh, shortly after I moved to Nashville, I got the call from Dave being like, hey, do you want to join the mermaid? And I was like, cool. Yeah, let's go. Wow. It's funny. I was just literally in, I haven't been to Costa Mesa in a very long time, but I went to like a movie screening at, at the uh the regal cinema there which i'm sure you oh the triangle uh-huh oh yeah. yeah i lived right up the road is that right yep <laughs> yep your old stomping grounds yeah um that's really funny uh how was your how did you enjoy living in nashville i hated it absolutely hated it uh i sound like such a negative person i truly i have loved uh how many lives I've lived in this life, truly. Like, Sounds like it, it. It feels like every location that I moved to is like a very different chapter. And Nashville was a tricky one for me because I was single at 31 and like also kind of being like, okay, like let's just like see where the chips fall. I was always kind of going with the flow and um, just kind of allowing myself to be fully present wherever I was. Uh, and, and that was super important to me because I had taken a minute away from music after um the young and sick thing kind of fizzled out that album cycle they didn't get picked back up again whatever uh, i just took some time off because as i'm sure you can understand like every once in a while the music industry uh drains you completely and you need to refill your cup however you see fit sure sure yeah i was actually curious because i saw that um i, I didn't know what the timeline was because i saw that like jay weinberg randomly played on the first record yeah. whereas like he was living in nashville for a while so i didn't know if that was the crossover there or because it sounds like that was actually before he I moved actually, to nashville yeah no and then and then we uh like we played music together a lot in nashville too um and shared a practice space which was cool when oh okay. I, when i was with dave yeah um got it and got uh it. but i met him through Laura Jane Grace because she was on the revival tour as well. So then I I opened, I got a call asking if I could do a one off show with them, uh, and the Menzingers in two thousand like twelve. Ah, okay, okay. And then obviously, you know, you end up playing on Menzingers records too. Like you played on the the EP the from Exile record. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Joe uh, is my boyfriend of almost six years now. So yeah, but which um, also we totally didn't like remember meeting at that show either so that's what i mean is like i've been in rooms with people that yeah mean yeah, a lot yeah. to me but well before i knew them yeah totally totally um with uh you know let's first first i'd be fun to talk about the the frank Iero uh connection too because i saw you did those records with steve albini yeah what was that experience like because you did two with them two with them I think. uh we did two yeah we did them all at the same time though Oh, okay. Um, and sense. and also I met Frank through being on tour with Dave. Like truly, I just let like life take me where it will. Sure. And uh playing with Dave was great, but I also knew that I never wanted to give up on myself. So I it was very important to me that even when I played with other people, I didn't necessarily feel like I was getting too comfortable. Um, I never really wanted to be a permanent member of anyone's band. I really wanted to make sure that I allowed myself the opportunity for growth or just to move around. Um, and so after we did a couple tours with Frank, 
we were just like, we became really good friends. And I remember learning, I had the mandolin on tour with uh, Dave and I was playing that and Frank and I were like, you know, he was like, you know, whatever I think about the mandolin, I think about, I was like, please tell me it's Losing My Religion by R.E.M. And he was like, yeah. So we like learned that song and then recorded it on my cell phone, like right beforehand. And then the following tour, he did a recording session at the Maid of Val Studios at the BBC in London and was like, do you want to come record this song with me? And I was like, yeah. hey, Dave, can I go? <laughs> can I please go record this song with Frank? Um, and then we just like, you know, have been friends ever since. And when he called and he was like, hey, I'm putting together the next band. I was like, dude, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we recorded with Steve Albini uh, for about three and a half weeks and we lived at Electrical. It was awesome watching him work and super cool. And also I just assume friendship is a challenge at every instance. Like I am like, yo, I'm going to make him my best friend. And they're like, no, you're yeah. not. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Uh, and I tried real hard, real hard. <laughs> I tried really hard. You tried really hard. Yeah. 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 He, he seems like a, like a very particular person. Oh, he person. is. I'm not sure if yeah. I'm his type of particular, but at the same time, uh, I think we had a great rapport. Uh, I, yeah. I really enjoy uh, his, he's so good at capturing bands in their purest and rawest forms. And I think a lot of that has to do with how hands off he actually is. Sure. Um, you know, it took a little while, like probably a couple days in the studio where I realized, like, I was like, yo, Frank, you're producing this record. And he was like, what? And I was like, you are pretty, because you'd play a part and then you'd be like, hey, how does that sound? And then you'd hear nothing. And then you'd hear him go, uh, it's in tune, if that's what you're asking. Oh, my God. And you're God. like, oh, okay. Okay. So this is, I'm, I am accepting that this is my part. And did I play it well? Okay. He says I played it well. That's, uh, I love hearing that story because, I mean, everyone you know, anyone who knows anything about Steve Albini knows that like, that's his whole thing that he's like, he's an engineer. He's not a producer, like right. whatever, but I've never heard a specific detail of like asking how a, how a take was. And then having that be the response, like that's that was so... his always. And also I like, it. I love, I am just like a very left brain, right brain individual. Like when I'm not playing music, I love to do like mathy admin stuff. It's my favorite. I love a spreadsheet. Oh, it just brings me joy to have something that I can complete at the end of the day. Like it's just wonderful. Um, and so he watching him work, like I would catch on very quickly that like if I fucked up and he knew I fucked up, he would just stop the take put it back four beats before I needed to play and then go again. And, and like, there was no conversation. And so like, I would pick it up really quick and I was like, Oh, this is way more efficient. But he was so cool to be able to just like, stop, move it. Do, and I was like, okay, let's go. I, I love efficiency. Let's totally, totally. Um, yeah. I've had a, uh, I talked to Marissa from screaming females cause they had done a few records with, with Steve and they, you know, I just, there's certain producers producers that I'm just like always excited to hear a story about because I'm obviously they're fascinating people. Um, yeah. So I was, you know, I'm sure. And I've also asked. never seen a person drink more soda in my entire life. Than, oh, my God. What, what is he? What kind? He drinks that green shit, that green soda. That's like famous Chicago green soda. I don't know. Green River? Yes. That's what it is. And that's yes, that's what it is. Because you know how on St. Patrick's Day they like make the river green? Yeah. It's a shitty oh joke about making that the soda. Wow. I've been I've played so many I've been to Chicago so many times and this is this is all news to me. Now I feel like I have to I have to try this when I'm there. I was yeah. did you try one? What's it like? I must have because also I'd never had a cavity in my life and then I toured once with Frank and then I had six. <laughs> the man loves sweets. The man's pantry is full of sweets. Before a tour even starts, he goes to Costco and loads the bus up with sweets. Oh my god. We start just, with a fully stocked bus. And just so listeners, because I'm sure we we said it just so listeners are fully aware, we're talking about Frank Aero. We're not loves talking about Frank sweets. Turner. Yeah. 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 But I did once watch Frank Turner put ketchup on macaroni and call it sauce. And I am still angry with him. That's the most UK thing I've ever heard. It in my is the life. most UK thing I've ever witnessed. It was 
absolutely wretched. <laughs> but I have nothing I wish, but love for him, but but a lot of judgment for his food choice. I wish I knew this uh, last week because I I interviewed him last week. <laughs> I wish I knew this last week because I, I would... we were playing uh, Garwood the Crossroads show together, and I just like. I watched him do it, and then I was like, it is my turn to play right now, and I'm going to let everyone know what you just did. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, okay, so this is a question that I'm – or a thing that I'm sure you've been you've been asked because of uh, just the, the obvious setup with, with the distance between your two solo records. Um, but was there – like, had you been writing all of these songs – before going into record with Will for like over a long period of time? Or was it like, did you just wake up one day and say like, it's time for me to do a new record. And that's when you started writing them. Um, What's weird. So the EP I put out after Burrower actually came out in 2018 and I did it with a rune from uh, saves the day oh, out I love in Nashville. Yeah. yeah. So cool. I did that with him and I did it primarily because I had gotten my first solo touring opportunity with Bayside. And I was going to do the acoustic tour with them and I was going to be soul support and then also play in their band. And so I was like, okay, I need songs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I had a handful. And so that's kind of where those came from. But then when it came time to do learning to be happy, like it, I had had the busiest year. 2019 was just so busy for me. And I toured, I did two tours. Like I did a, a, a demet like a U.S. and an international tour with Dave Hawes. Then I did a U.S. international and a Mexico tour with Frank um, in Russia. And then as soon as I got back, I did a solo tour with Frank Turner. And I was like, okay, we are doing nothing in 2020 except writing a record and putting it out. And then obviously what happened happened yeah. to everyone. Uh, and then yeah. it took about two years to get it done. I didn't finish the record until November of 2021, but I'd gone in and started recording it on January 2nd. Oh, of 2020. wow. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm assuming, you know, just assuming you, was your relationship with Will through working with like the men singers and stuff like that in the past. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, it was definitely like, also when I finally moved to Philly, I was just like, it would have, it would, it was on my short list of, of dream opportunities would be to work with Will. And, um, especially I, I'm a solo artist who hates being a solo artist. Like mm. I don't, I, I miss the camaraderie of having, uh, other people's creative visions and creativity. Um, and so I love when there's a connection with someone. And that's why I did the last record with Arun. Arun and I have been making music together for almost a decade um, on our own, which people will find out more about this year. Cool. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I, I love when you can find someone that kind of like speaks the same musical language as you and, and can kind of read your mind. And so even though I had Joe Godino play on a couple of songs, um, I also like for the most part, this record was Will on drums and bass and me on everything else. Wow. And, and we just worked on the record like completely on our, in our own little bubbles. Yeah. It's funny when I, when I listened to it the first time, I, the first thing I thought was like, Oh, this sounds like Will playing drums. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like, like you could just sort of sense his flavor once you get to know him a little bit with like yeah. how he, how he specifically plays. Um, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, it's like, was the idea to have it come out of memory music to his label or was no. it, did that come later? It came later. The, so especially before the pandemic happened, I thought that it was going to be two EPs. I thought I was going to do an EP for the first half of the year and then do the second EP at the second half of the year and just kind of see where that where I landed touring wise. Um, and then when we realized that like, oh, live music is not going to come back like anytime soon, we should probably just make a record. Why not? Um, and at the time, like I was ready to self-release the record and it wasn't until we started kind of chipping away at the second half the second ep that we were like hey let's you know he was like brought me on a memory and i thought uh that there would be no no better place to kind of like start over as a solo artist and kind of see what could happen than than with his guidance because sure i, I trust him i trust him yeah totally it's funny when you mentioned the 
the left brain, right brain thing and like the love of spreadsheets and things like that with you. Because uh, the, the first record you would say is self-released, right? The Burrower record. Like, yeah, self absolutely. Yeah. So like I saw it's on vinyl and all of that sort of stuff. So like you had to go through learning all that stuff for yourself the first time like what was that experience like for you and and was that side of your brain like learning how to do all that stuff was it really in full effect because it's a lot of it's a lot of moving parts work. but also like I remember the first cds that I made were for my first record and we burned them individually and then printed the inserts and then because we wanted to look as professional as we possibly could shrink wrap and heat dried every single one of them like yep the whole like the i was with shebang. a blow dryer for like an entire afternoon just to try to make my band look as professional as possible wow. um and yeah. so i was really fortunate because uh that venue in santa barbara velvet jones uh okay. put out burrowers vinyl for me they helped me through the process and i i touched base with them because uh craig one of the owners at the time was also the sound person or a guitar tech working on the crew for the revival tour oh wow okay yeah awesome awesome how did that feel the first time getting that record in the mail though or like opening it up and like seeing it and holding it how was that experience absolutely for you? surreal absolutely yeah. surreal uh there's something just very that i mean and it's funny because i've been putting records out on into the public's eye since i was like 15 which i'm super embarrassed like i'm sure it's timely and fine for, for totally. a 15 year old. But like, yeah. now that I'm still doing it, I'm a little like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if we can remove these. Yeah. Um, but so I think I, I, from a very early, early on, I was like very fascinated by having my own music become something that like would inevitably outlive me and be something that like I leave behind, but there's something very different about something that you feel so tied to like emotionally and I think that 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 first solo record was one that I was just like I never really knew I was going to be doing it so to be able to have that and and to feel like for the first time in my life because the Scarlet Ending as much as I really loved that band like we didn't really know how to how to market ourselves and position ourselves in the best way at the time and even now like it wasn't until putting learning to be happy out even as a solo artist that I kind of figured out who I am as a solo artist and what I want to do um so it's it's definitely like been a learning experience yeah do you do you feel like you approach songwriting so much differently now than you did when you were younger uh just also for the fact that you've been playing with so many different kind of musicians all these years yes and also I think that like I'm so ready to just tear down the stigma of co-writing in punk music like why do we care so much about our craft that we can't like equal if if i like the way i write and x likes the way that they write and i like the way that x writes why can't we like write something together that's going to be so badass and cool um and maybe that's again just because of my solo brain not wanting to like i don't know i i love collaborating and so it's trained me and also when you're learning other people's songs like right now I'm practicing to because I'm playing in Laura Stevenson's band on this next tour oh awesome um you learn like you listen to the music differently you're no longer like a part you're uh, you're no longer like a bystander you're a participant so mm -hmm. you you have to learn to listen to music differently and you kind of unlock little nuances in the way other people write music and i feel like it's the super cool like treasure that i get that not a lot of people i mean anybody who wants to learn an entire catalog of music can do it but totally. very few people are forced to do it for their job <laughs> <laughs> um but you know like i i admire the way bayside writes music because holy crap it's a lot more complicated than i originally realized and in a really cool way and the same thing with laura the way that she writes her harmonies is something that i've and i've been a fan of for a really long time so I, I love that I kind of get an insider peek into how these very prolific and influential musicians in my life write music and and I think it's really cool that I, I I try to take what I've learned and apply it into my own stuff and I'm sure it does offhand I've also kind of always been a writer that like when inspiration strikes I must clear my schedule otherwise I don't really schedule time for like writing every day I'm not very structured like that 
makes a lot of that totally makes a lot of sense um man i'm ex- I'm so excited this conversation finally happened just because uh i mean just like going through the list of the people you've you've worked with it's like it all makes sense like i've had laura on frank i've had dave i just interviewed frank turn it's like yeah this all yay it's all <laughs> it's, it's all pretty and it's also like it's not lost on me how fortunate i feel truly to have like have that be the people that I'm surrounded by right now. Like it feels really wild and surreal and, and really cool. Absolutely. Um, Well, let me hit you with the, hit you with the last question, which was when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? I think easily. Well, it's gotta be a tie. Um, I, I think the first time I ever truly, truly, truly felt that way was when I was asked to do the revival tour and the way that the revival tour is, is set up is that everyone there's like a Dropbox folder and everyone puts the songs that they're planning on performing into that Dropbox folder so that you can familiarize yourself with the three songs that Corey Brandon's going to play and the three songs that Dan Adriano is going to play and the three songs that Dave Haas is going to play and so on and so forth. And it is just a free for all. You're allowed to go on stage with whoever you want. And I remember like, not doing it at the first show, but for the second show, I like went out and sang Emma with Dan Adriano. And I was just like, this is my library card moment where I was like, I'm on stage singing a song with someone that I like discovered when I was a kid. And holy shit, this is amazing. That's the coolest thing in the entire it's world. The coolest I mean, yeah. fucking thing ever. It's so yeah. fucking cool. And then also I just did a two minutes to late night video uh, yeah. where, where we did the mamas and the Papa Roach and I got to sing harmony to, da- to Dan and I was just like, what is life? This is pretty great. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. I love I love I love when anytime anyone gets to uh, do anything with the people that are inspired them to begin with. It's like, you know, uh, it's a theme that kind of comes up on the show a lot, but it's like, you know, one of the coolest things about anything related to punk rock is that like the ceiling is kind of so low that like, if you work just hard enough, like it's possible to play with your favorite bands at some point. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. uh, I love that. Thanks for hanging out. This is a lot of fun. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Kaylee for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder that there is a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon where Kaylee answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. All right, that's it. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your week. Be good. Take care. Bye-bye.